namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa uddhang dhammang sankhang namasami So today is um, the um, day, one of the days we commemorate Ajahn Chah, and Ajahn Chah was a, a founding light, if you like. Didn't you know? He just came to this place in in West Sussex, 1979, and kind of gave it his blessing. And but more important than that, he established a kind of a, a teaching and training. Um, for people that uh, seems to have, have crossed over from the uh, Thailand you know, and the culture and the language and the country and everything in Thailand seems to have managed to cross over into into the West and uh, which is very different in many ways and so it's, it's kind of something we, we commemorate you know, just to be able to do that because in a way we're living the Sangha is living a kind of very traditional life wearing robes and shaving their heads and chanting in the Pali language <laughs> you know and then it's often following custom, Asian customs around, around all the areas of things that are different from the way they are in the West you know, so and somehow Using that, and yet also trying to bring across something that's relevant in the in the to, to people in the west, the east, the north, the south, and anywhere else. So, because actually we're using these these forms to to enter our own minds, and uh, this is what they're for. And really, the form is there to be a form, you know, a form that's basically about harmlessness and gentleness and clarity and commitment and patience and uh, mindfulness and these kinds of things. It's how you, how you use it, really. So this particular emphasis, then it, of course it's something that um, lay people, non-monastics, can pick up the spirit of because you also have, um, you know, if you like, ethics and things you need to attend to and be careful about and things that, you know, you have a form. And uh, you know everything has a form. <laughs> so, uh, and we've tried to kind of kind of trying to fudge the issue, saying, "Well, real truth is formless and beyond it all." Yeah, and yet there is this form, human form, these bodies. There's forms of relationships between, pe- you know, between friends, between people in conflict. There's some kind of relationship experience that happens. That's that particular form. There's responsibilities and jobs we do. There's that particular form. Um, these are all, if you like, forms, aren't they? Your job forms you. If you're a doctor or a, you know, whatever you do, then that that gives you some particular form. You poured your formlessness, your thoughts and mar- and feelings are poured within that particular frame of reference. Then you have to contemplate, you know, how you feel about that, whether you identify with it, how much you make your 
you're kind of, as you suffer with it, you're not very good at it, or you're wonderful at it, or you should be great at it, or the best at it, or no good at it, or it's whatever, you know. So that you use a form to actually contemplate the, the mind's um, hunger and uncertainty and wavering and energies within a particular form. And so you put the two together. Obviously form without spirit is, is dead. Spirit without form tends to not penetrate. In other words, it, it, spirit without form kind of goes to another dimension. So, you know, we, we have a spiritual reality in them, which we go to, and we, it's all kind of nice, and, and maybe if we can get there, cosmic, and then, and to, then you have this kind of dumpy old everyday reality, which you just kind of muddle along in, and you go to your spiritual bit again. So it's really, this is, this is an incomplete um, way of practicing. Really, the complete way of practicing for awakening is actually to you realize, acknowledge, we have a form. We have many forms, you know, sexual form, you know, you know what that does, the particular way of one's form within particular energies, um, attitudes, cultures, cultural forms, um, particular ideologies, that we, we may hold, democracy, or communist, or egalitarian, or hierarchical, or tribal, or pagan, or pluralist, or postmodernist, or post-postmodernist, or integrationist, oh, geez, yeah. what religious form you have, belief, non-belief, theistic, dualistic, non-dualistic, neither dualistic, nor non-dualistic, non-ideological form, that's still a kind of form. And then within that, when one holds to it blindly, then we find fault or comparison or criticism with people who have a different form. Or we start to measure ourselves within that. You know, say, I, I, this form, you know, is it good enough for me? Or am I good enough for it? Um, if it's, is, am I good enough for it? Is it good enough for me? Is it good, is it good for somebody else? Uh, should they be like me? Should they not be like me? And so forth. Which is the best one. Um, so actually, you know, this is the kind of where lives are. And really, you, you see that the, the Buddha's teaching actually is, is quite skillful because it's, it's kind of very stark in some ways. It can be extreme. You can get a lot out of it. There's a lot of different expressions of it. But the real, the Buddha said, the real thing he taught that was rare to hear in the world was, <laughs> here we go again, <laughs> suffering and the cessation of suffering. And he said, you know, this is what Buddhas know. I think, well, that doesn't seem so original to me. <laughs> yeah, but what, is it, what the Buddhas don't teach, yeah. they don't teach any state of being. <laughs> yeah. Form or formlessness, dualist or non-dualist, Self, big self, little self, cosmic self, self as witness, uh, self as non-witness, they don't teach this. You know, they don't teach um, anything on, on the ontological level, level of, of being anything. You know, so sometimes you have, we have teachings or considerations about some state of being. Are we the oneness? Are we the witness? Are we the watcher, the one who knows? Or is the one who knows watching the rest of me? Or neither or both. And the Buddha said, when you think like this, start your mind is what happens to your mind. And he's saying, These things I have not taught. 
they may be they may be things you want to consider, but this is the the, the real edge of the Buddha's teaching is just experience, really understand the sense of the dukkha and and how to release it. The rest of it then kind of falls into place. The rest of it falls into place. This is his his what he's saying, you know, whether you believe it or not, that's what he that's what he's saying, asking you to check it out for yourself. Because again you know, this is something that this kind of theme runs through everything else from the coarse, the subtle, the internal, the external. Do we experience pressure, stress, loss, inadequacy, frustration, unfairness, not quite right? Do we want it to be this and that? Are we, do we generate this kind of pressure? Does this pressure come up in us? You know, and how does that feel? Do you feel complete, fulfilled, satisfied, restful, and or not? You know? And then whenever this pressure is coming up in the mind, however laudable it sounds, then we experience things. Say this is there is this sense of of dukkha, and then you know, we acknowledge that. And then where is this released? Hmm. This is really, um, you know, very. Uh, Crucial. Mm. Where is it released? <laughs> so I remember, you know, sort of the, when I came back here the first first evening, I came back from my year of of um, being away from the monastery, being out of the weave of this, um, to experience dukkha in different forms. <laughs> sense of missing people and you know this kind of thing you have when you've been in something you sort of you feel you feel a bit lonely sometimes a bit nice to be with people feel I can do something useful rather than just be sort of just loose floating around like a dandelion seed and then when you get then after a while you think God I want to get out of here it's too dense too complicated And I, when I came back, I kind of came into this shrine, this Dhamma Hall. It was the evening time, about nine o'clock in the evening. Nobody was there around, really gone away. It was just dark, and I came out and I paid my respects to the to the Buddha, the shrine. And as I did so, I bowed, and I kind of felt this, oh, this kind of what thing come up in my heart. This feeling of, oh, I really want to just really help and love and look after and make people happy and really this kind of thing. I vow to do this. Oh, no, don't do that. Because <laughs> every time you make a vow, you realise you fail. <laughs> but what do you, so you don't, what do you do to say, well, I'll sort of, muddle along and get what I can out of life, or do you just make the vow anyway? <laughs> and accept the failure of it all. Because it's easy to imagine that the cessation of, of suffering or cessation of dukkha is don't aspire anymore, don't aim anymore, just give up any aim, just kind of hit the dirt, <laughs> keep your head down. <laughs> don't stick your head above the parapet, you know. Uh, just keep, keep your head down, grub along, and 
do what you can and do and when it's all else just kind of sink into the telly or the couch or the or the uh, newspapers or whatever when it gets life gets a bit pressurized just chill and get out of it and if if that worked then then sign me up <laughs> but from my understanding aspiration is it doesn't work because there's this kind of you know, if you don't live life bright, you don't live life, you don't really bring yourself forth into life. You know, it's just, who wants to live like that? You know, kind of dusty little hole. You want to, you want to bring forth. Feel unsatisfied. Feel unfulfilled unless you're really, you know, bringing forth your mind, your heart, your energies into life. And the kind of the, the nub of it, it really is that, of course, um, how to bring oneself forth into life without hanging on to it. You know, because mostly our, our you know, sort of unawakened energies, we come forth into life, we come forth and we grab it. You know, I want it this way, I want it that way. I think I've got a great idea, I'll make it like this, I'll make it like that. You know. And it's often sort of quite nice, quite good, good ideas and intentions we have. Yeah. And then so, so, which is, yeah. But then this kind of the purification, it's okay, you know, you, this is the best we can do. If you're an unawakened being, then you bring yourself forth and there's a certain amount of attachment in that. And a certain amount of wanting things to work, wanting to make things better, wanting to make things go, you know, the way it should do. And, but then you kind of you get ground down. That gets ground down <laughs> by by the way it actually is, <laughs> which I, I say ground down is perhaps a hard way of putting it. But it, you, get, you you get it's like you, it's rather like you get put in the fire and you you get tempered by that by this world which is actually always doing a bit beyond, a bit strange, a bit, there's always something going out in it. There's always something not quite fitting. Either your own health goes down or your, you know, physical things break up around you, things break down, you know, as soon as you build them, they start breaking down. Your body breaks down. Your mind goes out. <coughs> you know, impulses and energies happen. And the whole thing is just like that, isn't it? And yet, there's this kind of beautiful aspiration. And so your aspiration comes up, and, you know, life is a kind of glorious, is a failure, but when we make it a glorious failure, <laughs> then you keep your spirit pure and impeccable. <laughs> and what else is there? So, um, you know, this is over time, you know, like anybody else, I'm stubborn and it's thick. So, but after, you know, many years as a monk and being 56 years old now, I can see that, um, you know, it doesn't always, I don't always remember this, but in the moments of realization, <laughs> I realize none of it doesn't work. <laughs> Keep coming up against that, 
this is all we've got and it doesn't actually work. Body kind of has its limitations. And this time, this age, it's, yeah, it's got a lot of stuff left in it, but basically it's not, it's not doing what it did at 25. It's not working in the same way. It gets tired. It gets worn out. And uh, mind, the nice little brain that one preened and educated doesn't work. Or that you forget things. You can't remember names. You miss appointments. You have these kind of numb patches. <laughs> Senior moments, they call them. <laughs> this, is, and this is all you got. You know, it's kind of what you rely upon, this, this thing to do it for you. And it doesn't actually, can't actually do it. <laughs> and, but actually, this is like, this is like you actually realize it can't do it. I think when you're younger, you think, well, a bit more, I could do it. You know, I could figure it. I could get it all sorted out in my head. I could find the perfect system, the right idea, the plan. That would be it, wouldn't it? And you buy into it, and then the frustration, because it doesn't actually happen the way that one's organizing mind operates. But yeah, this is what we got. What are you going to do with it? You have to put it out on the anvil and the, for the tempering. You know, as in accordance with your capacity to, to manage that. You know, it's, it's certainly something you have to do consciously and willingly. You know, and in accordance with your capacity. Sometimes if you, you, know, if you fire it up too quick, too hot, you just splinter. If you don't fire it up enough, it stagnates. So that sense of real kind of aspiration to just keep kind of meeting one's edge, you know, inclining to meeting one's edge and uh, of where we feel, um, you know, the difference between, um, you know, wishing and wanting, if you see what I mean. Wishing is you actually kind of really just have an aspiration to bring forth and wanting is when you want something out of it. And the purity is just to have the aspiration, the wish, and whether it works, doesn't work. Still, I have the right and the ability to aspire, and I'm, I'm keeping that going. <laughs> whether it happens or not, this is what I can do. I can keep this going, this aspiration going, and nobody's going to take that away from me. You know. So that sense of just keep keeping the spirit bright and impeccable in what you do. Every day is certainly, there's going to be a failure in it. Because we're actually bringing this on to this particular plane. Planetary life. And just to recognize that the the Buddha taught, lived, manifested on this plane. He's not an ethereal being and uh, starved, got sick got hungry, had people quarrel with him, people tried to kill him, um, dealing with conflict a lot of the time. If you look in the, the um, scriptures, you see there's quite lovely teachings, but then you look in the, the annals, if you like, the history of the Sangha, there's a lot of pretty um, mucky stuff going on. The Buddhist kind of 
listening to somebody else, you know, doing something naughty, and you go, oh, monks, I haven't told you that <laughs> I shouldn't do this kind of thing. And then, so having dealing with, with the real life issues, if you see what I mean. This is the <coughs> one way to kind of um, present the, the practices in terms of Dhamma Vinaya. Dhamma is, if you like, the, 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 the essence, you know, the essence of the way to contemplate, to, to meditate, to contemplate, to establish ethical clarity, to establish loving kindness, to establish uh, mindfulness and, and concentration and so forth. And then vinya means you actually press it into the ground, which means with vinya is much more to do with um, using, you know, actually bringing that forth, bringing it forth onto, onto the level of um, places, possessions, people, belongings, and so forth. So it's not just an idealistic thing. So vinya sometimes could be seen as just monastic discipline, but it, it's much more than that. The Buddha when he summarizes teachings, he says, I teach Dhamma Vinaya. You know, so this is not just something that's about a particular monastic code of, contact, code of conduct. It kind of is trying to express the sense that you have to bring these um, ideals and aspirations into a living context. You know, how do you practice loving kindness when you're with people you find difficult? You know, when, how do you practice patience when you're with things that are, you know, mundane things are breaking down. We may, in fact, you know, love the idea of it as an idea, but then actually have to bring it onto the, the planetary level. That's, that's vinya. So you're actually trying to live out harmlessness, um, beautiful conduct, loving kindness, um, simplicity of needs, uh, cooperation. And one of the big things about the... the the vinya is it's something that's supposed to create a culture, a cooperative community or communality where people respect each other and learn how to operate with each other so there's non threatening or abuse or intimidation or manipulations going on. This is a very strong theme and it does remind us in fact of how how um, difficult that can be. You know, issues of power and influence, and and me having my my way. How common these are for us human beings. We are monkeys, after all. <laughs> you know what monkeys are like. <laughs> they're they're our, those are our cousins. <laughs> we carry that that particular habit of <laughs> sort of do a, do a few numbers, get things my way. I'm going to get my coconuts. You know. <laughs> Devious critters, we have that that particular, uh, we inherit that particular you know, bit as well as as something more noble. So this sense of really, you know, developing a kind of communality. Hmm. Ajahn Chah was particularly um, strong on. Actually, both on Dhamma and Dhamma Vinaya, but he really made a point of of um, emphasising the use of Vinaya, not just as uh, do's and don'ts, but really using it. You know, so um, things like you know, if you find someone you 
really find difficult to get on with, that's the person you should go and work with. <laughs> you know, he says, so you find someone you're difficult to, to work with, you, you go and, and work with them. So you have to kind of get together and actually feel these things out. Yeah. Of course, you start to realize what's happening when you realize a lot of people want to come and work with you. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear. <laughs> so you just kind of because we can all have ideas about each other and, and you know compare and contrast, when you actually get together and work together, work something out, you've actually got to let go of a lot of these ideas. You begin to understand each other on a much more than just a kind of witnessing level, but on a you know, feeling energetic level, and you—you you sort of, you got to see the wholeness of the person. Yeah. So, so this sense of really trying to, you know, be have respect, and it's a uh, ni- respect, mutual respect. And this is—I think this is a really nice piece to put in there because if there's, you know, something that helps us to understand the fullness of what, what love is about. And I think respect is sometimes a bit that we miss. You know, we may find that, you know, love is something that gives us a sort of rapturous sense or, yeah, it's part of it, but also part of it is just really, you know, respect, hold being with someone without trying to, you know, make them into something else. That to me is, is respect and it's also a very loving thing to do. It doesn't mean, you know, I've got to do it your way, but actually, you know, it's not, it's not a, it's something you kind of rise up into and it's, it's a mutual, mutual quality. It's not purely a formal thing, it's a mutual thing. You listen, give people a bit of space and um, you meet people, you meet It does, you know, this helps us to understand two, two basic uh, reference points that the Buddha asked us to consider, you know, and to, to cultivate. See, one is, we say, the, we say the external reference point, which is spiritual company, Kalyana Mitta. Association with what's called the lovely or the noble or the the um, bright-minded, you know. And so this is a very important reference. You need this reference. Mm. You need the sense of uh, cooperation, cooperate. You need that sense of something outside that you you kind of balance your affairs with. You know, we're not here to be autonomous and separate and me in my own way. We're something we just want to keep that sense of cooperate. So that gives us a way of, of checking in with the attitudes that we have, the assumptions we have, and also of feeling perhaps less need to. If you feel you're trusted and you're shared and you're sharing, you look it after and you then you have less of the sense of, of contention or need to be um, have things my way. Um, you know. 
this is really Kalyanamita, spiritual friendship, the external reference. And the internal one is, is called deep, deep attention, Yonisomanisikara, which means literally something like bringing your mind around, making your mind work back into the source of things. It's a cumbersome phrase, but it's really about like a sort of a kind of inquiry, you really get to the point, getting into the heart of the matter, getting into the underlying root source of, of what's happening for you. you know? And so this is your internal reference, sometimes wise consideration, you begin to sort of you know, what's really happening, you're feeling this, you're feeling that, your thoughts are going wide. Really, what's, what's the real point that's happening for you? You start to kind of look into that. In other words, you might say, where's the, where's the stress or where's the suffering now? And where's the ending of that? This is considered to be a kind of main theme of, of wise consideration, deep attention. So you, you, you actually bring that to bear as part of your, your, just your living standard. And you use that internally and externally. You have people who can, say, who can say, well, you know, what's happening for you now? Or where do you experience that stress? Or is it really that way? So you've got somebody mirroring, if you like. And uh, you operate that within this kind of grounded culture, you know. Of um, realizing we have aspirations and and some of them have got taints with them, attachments with them. So you really want to kind of press it into the ground and pu- be purified. Push it into this into this world, and this world, if you hold it in the right way, will purify, will clear out the ignorance, will brighten the the mind. And it's exactly this particular, this is, if you like, the, the, the channel to work through. Because there's the ways in which we understand this term, dukkha or unsatisfactory or incomplete or unfulfilled, is twofold. First of all, it's, the, it's called a characteristic of all formed, manifest, conditioned things means whatever's we see or hear or touch or think or taste is subject to, to entropy, it tends to break down, it passes, it changes, it's fragile, it's vulnerable, um, it's like, you know, you touch it and it changes, so you can't actually really get it, you can't have it, it won't, you know, you have lovely experiences and then they just, you know, it changes again, and you're not separated from the, the hits of displeasure, this is characteristic of existence, I would say. But then dukkha is a noble truth, <coughs> means that you can, even though this remains the case as a kind of constant theme, still you can, there's, there's your, how much suffering you experience with that. Yeah. So that dukkha is a noble truth, says, well, things remain unsatisfactory, but you don't remain unsatisfied. Yeah. There's that, there's that way in which your, your, your spirit or your, your intentionality no longer needs to find satisfaction in the unsatisfactory. It releases itself. 
it releases itself through this particular channel you know, of um, the teaching and training on this planet, on this earth and using these kind of um, internal cultivation, external cultivation so you, you're covering the whole you know, in essence you're covering the whole sphere of your internal culture, how you handle your thoughts your moods, your emotions, your energies, your body states, your memories, your aspirations, and so forth, how you manage that realm, and then the external realm, how you get, you, you manage, or you, you cultivate a, a sense of um, relationships that can give you some, some support. Some, and some of that support is encouragement, and some of it is mirroring, and uh, some of it's instructive, and some of it's just compassionate. Yeah, but something there that can give you that kind of um, that support. And spiritual friendship, you know, it's important to really understand. It's, it's, it's you know, there's many things that that I can feel in terms of of emotion with with people. You know, I'm sure we all have this from a sense of tenderness, uh, you know, wanting to be able to be happy, um, feeling strongly attracted to people, sexual energies, uh, in this way. Any of these could come under a kind of that which wishes to associate with, with people. Um, you know, like, so it's, it's nice to have buddies you can hang out with and relax with. All this is very much... Um, you know, kind of the way our hearts and minds operate, I'm sure. A spiritual friend is actually not really that. It's, it's, just, it's just that which a person who just meets you where you are. You know, they don't, they're not trying to make you happy <laughs> or win you over. Or, so it's not someone you can lose because they just really want to help meet you where you are. Mm-hmm. Now I know that certainly kind of my emotional behavior can one would actually want you to be happier <laughs> or or like me or you know or something like that I want like something to feel that I've done you know I want you to change into from your being unhappy or wherever into being more happy you know so there's a bit of a hook there isn't there so cheer up, you'll get over it. Life's like that, or never mind, or you know that kind of thing, or which is a good intention. But actually, the spiritual friend is someone just you know, being with you, and yet they're not trying to make you change. So you you know you can be as miserable as you like. It's fine with me. <laughs> you know, so you actually. What often we need is that sense of something that strengthens us to really feel that wherever we're at in our, in our inner world, as it starts to manifest our behaviours, we're tending to lose the plot occasionally, wherever we're at, actually that's met with no judgement or punishment or finger-wagging or excuses or, or even, oh, don't worry about that, but actually, well, how was that, you know? Um, you know, it's a kind of sense of really helping you to, to us to focus on our on our 
karma on our actions and behaviors in a way that is clear, honest, but is also, it's not about um, fixing, blaming, comparing, contrasting. It's not about building you into being something. It's just saying, just, just helping to see bits of behavior, bits of unacknowledged impulse. So actually the spiritual friend is not someone who's seeing you as a self. And this is where it, it sort of shifts. Because the, the Buddhism isn't really aimed at, at you as a self. Right? Trying to make you into a self or deny you are. It's not just not, not dealing with that. It's dealing with particular experiences that manifest. You know. So... You know, when when my when I experience anger, I'm not experiencing loving kindness at the same time. <laughs> you know, so of course, if you look at me historically, say, well, he gets upset with that if he doesn't get enough of his his marmite in the morning, he gets crotchety, or <laughs> you know, but he's a good guy really, and he sometimes he's very funny, but he can get a bit sort of strict. So you build up a kind of character analysis of me, but. That really isn't the point. Or, well, you know, Scorpios are like that, and English people are like that. Oxes, and he's probably a number five in, in the Enneagram, so we look at that a lot. But, you know, you, you kind of tendency to try and build up the whole picture of the person so you can understand them better. But actually, in Buddha Dhamma, you don't try to build up the picture of the whole person. You say, there's this little bit, you know, of my... Frustration, that's, that's the frustration bit. And how do we actually handle that and work with that and deal with that and look at that? Mm. So in a way it kind of leaves you delightfully um, unformed. <laughs> you know, but not as a formless self. It just leaves you out of the, out of the picture because you're just dealing with particular manifestations. And only one of those happen at a time. And it's, it's really, that's a great help if somebody else does that for you. Says, you know, well, this is the, the raging bit. Okay, well, it's, how does the raging bit feel? How does it feel in your body? Or, you know, I can be with that. You know, I, I don't think, oh, you're supposed to be the sweet, docile bit. Why are you now the raging bit? You know, it's not trying to ask you to be something, but just taking particular pieces that where you're experiencing, essentially where you're experiencing confusion or stress or uncertainties or you're wobbling or what's that? It's really helpful to just take a bit, you see. And that's the Buddhist approach. Not, it's not saying there isn't some kind of wholeness, but it's leaving that wholeness undefined, delightfully undefined. Whereas, you know, the... This, the tendency for, for many other maps is to try to define the wholeness. You know, there's, there's some kind of thorough analysis of what you are, which has its benefits, that's for sure. But then the, the, the Kalyanamita, the spiritual friend, just tries to actually look at that. This is your your grief or your um, your desires or your 
it's like that, isn't it? How does that feel? And then, because then we say, well, actually, you know, there's, I have these things too. These things, these are just kind of phenomena that manifest. Mm. And we kind of leave, leave the, the, the. There's a whole big bit that's not said. <laughs> no. Often we so wish to know. Tell me what I am. <laughs> Tell me who I am. Mm. You know, I, am I a good? Am I best? Am I not so good? Am I succeeding? Am I a stream enterer? Am I a stream paddler? Am I anywhere near it? You know? <laughs> or am I just stuck in the mud? You know? Or am I a respected, admired member of the community? Or kind of somebody who just bear with me? Am I welcome here or not very welcome? Or, you know, please tell me. You say, well, that feels like doubt, doesn't it? <laughs> Doubt and frustration, how do we deal with that? Doubt and frustration, how do we deal with that wish to be acknowledged? You know, I have that wish, I'm sure many other people have that wish, to, and somewhere else something in me wants to say, I want to be heard and acknowledged and looked at and felt people think I'm nice or okay, I, I want that to happen. Yeah. But if I walk around the world with that kind of thing unacknowledged and saying, you know, well, what do you think, eh? And, what do you think? <laughs> There's some pressure there, isn't it? I'm exerting some pressure on, on the people. What do you think? Are you good? <laughs> so that, that's dukkha. But enough and say, well, actually, I'd like, to be, I'd like to be acknowledged as something. <laughs> oh, right. So what's that? Oh yeah, what's that? Oh yeah. Why do I need to be acknowledged as something? It's a silly question, which then Manasikara is like that sense of really trawling through those things. Oh, that's that. I want to be acknowledged as useful. Oh, what's that? Is that kind of. Oh, that's dukkha. The dukkha is not to be dismissed poo-pooed, blamed, you idiot, you shouldn't have any. Um, Dukkha is to be held carefully so that you understand it. Say, well, actually this wish cannot be fulfilled. Because it, 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 you know, how can it be fulfilled? Oh, then it's, it's, and do you need it? What would it be like without it? So you consider things like that. Could you let go of it? For just a moment, maybe. Not the rest of your life, just a moment. What would it be like not to know who you are, whether you're good, bad, better, loved, hated, despised, wondered, admired, venerated, half enlightened, quarter enlightened, completely enlightened, totally off the map. Or what would it be like if you just didn't know that? Oh, kind of all right. <laughs> I guess it's all right. <laughs> the sense of something relief. Yeah. Now it's a bit for you know most of us. Certainly for, for me, that's that's quite difficult to not know who I am, where I stand with others. You know. 
I, I can I can do it. It's often it's a bit of a challenge to do it. But then you say that well, uh, yeah, I, uh, right. If I can I do that, and then if I do do it, then I'm beginning to recognise a sort of certain nervous, anxious, doubting, you know, hankering starts to, you know, stop. And saying the life is is very good for that because, you know, whether you're doing very good at Anapanasati, you still get fed. If you're no good at it, you still get fed. You still get your robes, you still got your lodging, they don't boot people out who've not been very mindful. You know. And and so forth. So you got the kind of basic things there and people just kind of, you know, one day you kind of you get some sense of at least you know, you're you're in the still in the in the you don't get sacked, as it were. <laughs> and then there's this kind of this emotional gap. You're thinking, well, but what do you really think? What do you really think of me? I say, well, it depends, <laughs> doesn't it? Sometimes up, sometimes down, and does it matter? You know, because because who, who's who's standing on level ground? If if I think you're an idiot, does that mean it's true or not? Is it just my opinion? You know? So who's who's going to do the acknowledging? And how worthwhile would it be? So you're left in this kind of there's no real place to make some real <coughs> established statement about what I am either internally or externally. <laughs> There's no place you can make that statement. And yet you desperately want, one desperately wants to make that statement. Yeah. So, what are we... But that whole quest is, is dukkha, and it doesn't, it, it doesn't end following that. It ends by beginning to recognise this is the craving, this is the fear, this is the moment, I'm not a complete basket case, and nervous wreck because I have this particular mood, but this mood happens, it's a phenomenon, probably other people have it too. How do we handle that? How do we work with that? How do we find a place where we can be honest, truthful and release that? Because hmm? being you can recognise that even your kind of own emotional network is also unsatisfactory, impermanent, not self. <laughs> you know, that's what it is, isn't it? It's not to say we despise it or belittle it, but just like my thinking mind, my emotional patterns are really, you know, as as I can get, I can feel offended, you know, hang on to that, and I can feel, um, you know, irritated and by people and. Then, in a sense of irritation, and you build a whole reality out of that. And sometimes it's like that in the monastery. And then you kind of turn around a corner and somebody says, Oh, Vajan, it's nice, lovely to see you, wonderful. You can say, Oh, boop, it all drops. <laughs> Where was that? You're walking around, you know, create a nice, comfortable hell realm. Well, I really know, you know. I'm no good, nobody's any good, nothing's going to work, and people are totally ungrateful and useless, and so they're walking around in that, and oh, now I've got something going. Then somebody starts behaving beautifully and blows it up. Oh, 
<laughs> it's like that, isn't it? You, you, one's kind of emotional reality is, is as is as is um, much of a fallacy as one's conceptual one, and yet there it is. Mm-hmm. So we, we we acknowledge that, and you know what does it take to actually hold this? The emotional sense is really the most powerful because it's the thing that drives our sense of convictions, our impulses, our feelings of we get panicky or anxious, frustrated, we, then we create bad impressions of ourselves and others. So it's, it's really a potent thing. How do you handle that? You can't just kind of push it off the screen as well. It doesn't really matter anymore. But to, to actually handle it. You know? and this is really kind of like what we're doing is we're handling the world internally and externally um, in a way that we don't give up on it. We don't give up on the emotional body. You don't give up on thinking. You, know, you stand with them. You stand by them. And in my experience, whenever I do that, something else arises. There's a subtler sense which arises, a kind of quality of, of um, tenderness, of graciousness, of um, you know, something I trust to just be with. You know, it's like you meet yourself. It's like the spiritual friend meets you. You begin to meet yourself, rather than judge, complain, force yourself, try and make yourself. You just meet yourself. Your self patterning, <coughs> and, and there's no, and with that, there's no particular shying away from it or screwing it up, or chucking it away, or doing anything with it, you just meet it. And uh, in that place, is, to my experience, is a place where this release starts to occur. You can't do release, it begins to occur when you put these, these paradox into the, right, into the right context. There's no one who releases suffering. There is no one who gets out of it. There is no one who, who, who uh, becomes anything out of it. But there is release. And the release is at this place of utter honesty. And the utter honesty is saying, right now, there's, there's, there's this, there's not the com- composite historical personality, the view, the opinion of myself. There's just this one, this particular bit. That's to be you know, absolutely honest. And we meet that, and that's where this place of of, um, of dhamma. Mm. And quite a lot of our practice is just learning that process, you know, beginning to trust that process, and then in a way, you know, if you you won't actually the aspiration in us actually says, well, just let's push it a bit further, <laughs> you know, really go into some deeper things, you know, take on a bit more, <coughs> take on a bit more, yeah. be with what you don't want to be with, carry what you don't want to carry, yeah. let go of what you don't want to let go of. 
So you actually start to ferret out the, the, the places where you, you, you've still got your kind of possessions and your territory. Ferret those out and you start to kind of push into those. This is the place of, of uh, complete relinquishment. And it's the last thing you want to do. <laughs> but it's, it's uh, as you get the trust the process, that's, that's where it goes to. You begin to sense the places where you, you're still kind of holding on. And uh, life, in a way, tends to come around winkling you out of your little comfort zones. Hmm. This is, you know, the vision of Dhamma is to really thoroughly, you know, thoroughly go through the whole system. And you go through the whole system because you actually bring it into, into this pluralistic, multidimensional world where you don't manage to hide behind. You know, you're being got at from different angles and different lights are shining on it. Um, and you practice in accordance with Dhamma. With the, the whole sense of this is about relinquishment, letting go. But it's not about um, letting go, in, is it something that's, that's casual or philosophical? It's, not a, it's certainly not a philosophical standpoint of laissez-faire, doesn't matter, don't make a problem out of it. <laughs> there you go, that, that's, that's, no, that's too cosy. <laughs> still, somebody's still there saying, oh, don't make a, a problem out of it, don't worry about it, it's all right, don't care about that, I can get out of that. And, you know, that's not it. It's, it's about the place where, you know, you, 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 um, uh, you let go of being anything. Letting go of being something, trying to be something, and and just sort of question. You know, what I'd recommend is manasikara. It's like a real, you know, trawling through and digging through some of the the um, ideologies, the mindsets, the projects, the visions, the plans, the way it should be that's happening in our mind. Really start to to examine some of those. Yeah, that can become such have such a grip upon us. What, what really do you really want? Yeah. Where is that? What do you really? Where, where is that kind of real live nerve of I want? Why do you want it? You know. And are you going to get it? <laughs> do you really think you're going you're to get it? And what you want, what you want to do to get it? Yeah, this is where it gets really interesting. You know, how much are we prepared to kind of wangle or push or manipulate in order to get that? You no, know, it's no, you know. But it's not about the, the kind of snuffing out, but it's a, the purification. You can, <coughs> you know. You can bring up the spirit, the will, the heart, and uh, purify it. We begin to acknowledge how it gets confused and tainted through this process of of self-inquiry, exploring it.
And you can quite simple things. You know, just the difficulties in one's body. What did you expect? What do you think you can do? Difficulties in, in one's life. You know, and we can kind of get into that, can't we? I think, you know, in terms of Sangala, I think, well, we build a harmonious community, mm-hmm. you know, make things work, mm-hmm. build monastery, well, you know, if you hang with any of those, <laughs> you know, you're going, it's good, it's good, those are good, but you still be careful, be careful, <laughs> you know, that, that comes second. And if you, you don't, if you don't prioritise, if you start to put those as as the ultimate priorities, you, you, you're building suffering again. Those those lovely qualities that may happen, or we can aspire that way, but don't ever expect to achieve it. What you can achieve is how to be bright, how to be present in this world, how to keep bringing yourself into this world, how to keep loving and sharing, working in this world without asking anything back. And that's, that's our privilege, that's our blessing, that's our possibility as human beings. Anyone?